You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. So the passages that were selected today from the lectionary start in Genesis, and it's the story of Abraham being promised that his descendants would become a great nation. So this is a wonderful story because there's really nothing in Abraham's life that would prepare him to expect this to come true, right? He had, you know, various extended family members. His expectation was that um, someone else would be his descendant. And God made a promise, and Abraham says, I believe. And then Abraham was counted righteous for his belief. Now, when I was growing up in kind of children's church settings, we were taught a song about Father Abraham. You familiar with this one? Someone suggested that I should have you all stand up and sing it. But, well, we won't do that to you. Um, I was also suggested to me by one of my daughters that the song was a little sexist because it only talked about the sons of Abraham. I know. Right. We're, we're a very pro-woman family. Right. You know that I have six daughters. Right. Uh, until not long ago, I, I had, you know, a grandmother, you know, a mother-in-law, um, a mother, a wife, and, and four daughters. Uh, some have gone to be with the Lord. We've picked up some extra daughters along the way, but I don't, uh, anyway, I have a lot of women in my life, and I count that as a blessing, yes. But the song, you know, Father Abraham, we teach our children to sing it, I think maybe for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of them is because we need to, the kids have too much energy, and we need to kind of get the energy out and because they have to move. For those of you who don't know, the song is fairly short, and it's repetitive, and we sing, uh, Father Abraham had many sons and daughters. Uh, many sons and daughters had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. That's the totality of the song, except the, that, that line is sung like, I don't know, a billion times, it seems like. And each time you sing the song, a different part of your uh, body is supposed to move, and eventually they're moving their arms and their legs and their head, and they're spinning around. But there's another point to that song that I think is very important, and that is this. We are the children of Abraham. We are the children of that promise, that the promise came in a way that was unexpected, and then it was fulfilled in a way that was even more unexpected. Because originally, the thought was that the promise had to do with blood and soil. It had to do with the physical descendants of Abraham, at least some of them, right? So uh, Isaac, but not Ishmael. Um, Jacob, but not Esau, right? And there was this kind of dividing of it. So it had to do with this kind of blood, the blood descendants of Abraham, and it had to do with soil. It had to do with this particular plot of land from Dan to Beersheba from the Golan Heights down to the Red Sea, which is a pretty small piece of land, really. Except 
the way the promise has been fulfilled, I believe, still has to do with blood and soil because it's not just talking about some other place or some other people. Except the blood now just simply means those who have blood. <laughs> like, like all of us. Because the blood is not just the, the physical descendant of Abraham, but those who are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And the place, it still has to do with soil, but the place is not just that little strip of land in the Middle East, but it's all of land that the, the kingdom of God, the descendants of Abraham, the spiritual descendants of Abraham, are, are people who live anywhere. Like everyone who lives everywhere could be part of this promise because God was going to bless Abraham and through Abraham make his descendants a nation and through that nation bless the world. And that's where that story ends. Not that God was just kind of saving some, but God had a plan to save us all. The psalmist kind of picks up on this a bit. We heard it in the call to worship today. There's that particular passage that says, if my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will pick me up. Even if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will pick me up. This is a theme that we see pretty consistently kind of throughout uh, the Gospels the, and, and the epistles. That is that God is our Father. And sometimes we see that in a frame of like new creation. Uh, Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians. Or sometimes we'll hear it through the metaphor of new birth. Uh, John will talk about that in his gospel. It's the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. But it's also talked about in Romans chapter 8 with the metaphor of adoption. And as those of you who know my story well, this has become uh, not just something that we've practiced as we've adopted Cecily and Carly last year, but it's something that's become a part of who I am. And that metaphor that's been used in Scripture somehow has come alive to me in ways that it previously hasn't. I'm amazed about how many of the songs that we sing will sing about how God cares for the orphans or that God has adopted us, that God is a good, good father, or that I am a child of God. And what's interesting about that passage in Romans on the one hand, it will say those of us who are in the Spirit, who put to death the deeds of the flesh, that we do this by the Spirit, and having the Spirit makes us the children of God. It's as though the adoption has already happened. But then as Paul keeps talking, he talks about how this message is bigger than us, that it's going to affect not just people, but it's actually going to affect the earth, that the earth has been groaning waiting for its redemption, and that one day we will all receive the spirit of adoption. So he ends with this idea that adoption's kind of in the future. So that's a little confusing. I mean, am I already adopted, or am I adopted at the end? And this reminds me so much of our experience over the last three years with Cecily and Carly. Like, Literally, days after they moved in with us, they would ask us, are you going to adopt us? And we're like, well, 
the judge has to make a decision, <laughs> right? And so a few weeks would go by and they would say, have you talked to the judge? <laughs> right? There's this hope. There's this kind of expectation. There's something that you couldn't have squelched if you wanted to, that somehow we were going to become a family. And that family was going to be permanent. It was going to be a forever family. And so it struck me that our, our lives with God and in some ways like a foster family. And the church is like the foster agency. So we come to faith. We come to be a part of the church. And we realize that now we're coming to our father's house. Right? We used to joke a lot about Hannah, uh, one of the six, daughter number two, apparently has a hard time maintaining shoes, at least on her feet, right? And so she has been up on this stage before, barefoot, which actually prompted uh, someone in the congregation to offer to buy her some shoes. <laughs> so, uh, we, in fact, one time we got to Disney World, and Hannah got out of the minivan, and she's like, oh, I don't have shoes. I mean, you don't have shoes? Where are your shoes? I thought they were in the van. You thought they were in the van? Put your shoes on, girl. But there's another part of me that kind of likes it here. Because when you're at home, how many of you just kind of wear shoes, like, for always? Like, you don't sleep in your shoes. I mean, eventually you take shoes off. Or there's this idea, right, that you could at least appreciate if you don't personally practice, that if you're in the home, if you're in your own home, or if you're in the home of a close friend or relative, it's not so awkward to kind of kick off your shoes, right? Because the familiarity, because the family relationship. And so in some ways, I, I kind of celebrated that Hannah did that that her kicking off her shoes was because she was at her father's house. And that's, that's how I want you to think of Oasis. That this is a church, right? It's the term we use. But this is your father's house. And so when you come here, you should feel all the welcome, all that sense of home, all that sense of you are chosen by God. Now, we all realize that there are things in us that don't quite match the ways of our Father. Yeah? Um, and I can certainly tell you there are certain things in our girls that don't quite match the way we would hope that they might behave. But the fact that our behavior is one way and our Father's behavior is one way doesn't seem to stress out the father. Right? The father's patient. The father's kind. The father's loving. And the father can kind of love us into being like the father. And so we all realize that we are already kind of a part of the family, but we're kind of a part of a foster family that in the end there is, in Christian expectation about the future, a judgment that all of us will one day stand before the judge. 
And what the judge will say to us is now your adoption is final. Now this is your family. You're forever and you're always family. And that will never end. And that's exactly how the psalmist brings that psalm to the end. I mean, I know we read this just a minute ago, but it says this, I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart and take courage. Wait for the Lord. Our Lord, our Father, our heavenly parent, is good and is going to make everything right. The gospel passage for today seems perhaps to be a bit of an odd fit. It's a passage from Luke chapter 13, and it starts out like this. At that very hour, some of the Pharisees came and said to him, to Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now, I'm not exactly sure how to take that, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you, because it sounds like the Pharisees may be trying to protect Jesus. So like if we're reading Matthew and Mark, the Pharisees are often the antagonists of the story. You know, they're the bad guys. Luke has always had a more positive take on the Pharisees. This seems to be extremely positive. So I'm not quite sure if they're like, hey, Herod wants to kill you, man. You need to get out of here. Or if it's, you know, hey, wouldn't it be nice if this guy, out, this guy got away from here? <laughs> and maybe if we tell him Herod's after him, he, he could leave. Jesus says, go tell that fox. Listen, I'm casting out demons. I'm performing, performing cures today. And tomorrow, on the, and on the third day, I will finish my work. Now, for him to say, on the third day, I will finish my work... Christian theologians, you can imagine, hear within that an allusion to the resurrection, that there's three days and his work is kind of done and done. But then Jesus uses this most interesting metaphor about himself. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. Now this is interesting. Jesus describes Herod as a fox and himself as a hen. Now, I don't know how much you know about foxes and hens, but if, if you were going to be on one side or the other... <laughs> You might want to be on like the fox's side because normally foxes and hens, the way that works out is the fox wins unless somebody intervenes on behalf of the hen. And it, it does remind me too a bit of the way in which John in the book of Revelation will talk about this relationship between Jesus and the kind of anti-God kind of governments of the world, right? Because Jesus is described as a lamb and Satan is described as a dragon and the Roman Empire is described as this, this enormous beast. So, I mean, at the very least, with Jesus, it's not a beast, it's just a fox kind of conniving. But still a fox is a dangerous thing to a hen. But that's the story that we find ourselves in. We're a part of this story, and this is the story of Lent. A story that says... From dust you have come, to dust you shall return. 
When the minister imposes the ashes on the forehead of a Christian on Ash Wednesday, they say, um, from ashes you have come to ashes you shall return. It's this recognition of our finitude. It's this realization that we're not here forever, that we are temporary. But on a Sunday, any given Sunday, even Sundays during Lent, you should know that the Christian story doesn't end there. From dust you have come to dust you shall return, but your return to dust is not the end of the story. From ashes you have come to ashes you shall return. You might be nothing but ashes and dust, but you will have an everlasting life. An everlasting life that is the result of this lamb that was willing to die. Of a mother hen who would take care of her young. That's the story that we find ourselves in. That's our family. In the epistolary passage today, Paul's writing to the Philippians and he tells them that they are citizens of heaven. Now, I love that language, but that language also gives me a little bit of concern. We are citizens of heaven, yes, Paul's right. But to be a citizen of heaven doesn't mean that we have no concern for the earth. Uh, Sometimes growing up, I would hear ministers say, you have to be careful that you're not so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. This idea that we're citizens of heaven shouldn't lead us to think that the cares of this world aren't cares of us, that we shouldn't be caring for the sick and the hungry and the naked and the stranger and the prisoner and the, and the uneducated. Like in every way, we care for them because God cares for them. So that the promise is not that we will end up forever in heaven. But the promise is that heaven will come here. Right? This is what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. That's where we want it done. That's what the psalmist says. I want to see this in the land of the living. Right? That's the expectation. That, that these new borders, these new uh, relationships, these new connecting points that we call the kingdom of God or the family of God will take place here. Back to Revelation. The final vision in Revelation is not an ascension story up, up and away, right? Somewhere over the rainbow in a galaxy far, far away <laughs> to where no one has traveled before. I got a lot in there, man. I got Star Wars, I got Star Trek, I got Wizard of Oz. There's a lot going on in that statement. But the Christian story is actually none of that. It's the new Jerusalem. It's the kingdom of God. It's the city of heaven coming down to earth. And it's the fulfillment of the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here. So all the work that we do, that the simplest of things are things that the Spirit can take and incorporate into the coming of the kingdom. Every act of forgiveness, every act of grace, of mercy, of kindness, 
are things that the Spirit can use then. Not that, not that God is somehow dependent on us in any way. It is the work of God. But because God is our good, good Father, because we are the children of God, God is gracious to, to use us, to, to include us in this redemption story so that we can be family. There's a prayer that we've ended the last couple of, of uh, services with. And it's a prayer, I think, that's perfect for Lent. Because, again, remember, this season of Lent is not, it's not to suffer for the sake of suffering. It's, it's to deny ourselves to prepare us to celebrate the resurrection. Because that's where the Christian story goes. And so the prayer goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms on, of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. Jesus stretched out his arms so that everyone might come within his saving embrace. The prayer continues, so clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. So what if we were to think about those members of our family or our neighborhood or our coworkers or our fellow students as children of God who have just yet to meet their father? Right? What if they too are just in this global foster care program. And it's the responsibility of us in the church to care for them until the time that they can meet the Father, until the time that we all meet the Father at the final judgment. And the judge says, this is your new name. You are a child of God. Amen? Servers are coming now, and we're going to celebrate the communion, the Lord's table. The Lord's table is a great way to think about family. This is the big family meal. This is a meal, right, that we have together with Christians and with whoever else those Christians might invite to the banquet. Jesus practice this meal in so many ways. Jesus would say, you know, he used parables. Um, he told a story of a big banquet that was planned and they had a huge guest list, but then no one from the guest list showed up. So they sent them back out to find uh, whosoever might come. You know, we, we often hear that, that passage of scripture from, from John Right, it's the only passage that talks about new birth. Like the only passage in the New Testament that uses the phrase kind of born from above or born again to talk about Christianity. That passage ends with this statement. For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him. Whosoever. Well, what if you're Jewish? You're part of whosoever. Well, what if you're Greek? You're part of whosoever. 
What if you're male or female? You're part of whosoever. What if you're Scythian, barbarian, slave or free? That's a little extra that Paul got into in Colossians, but you're still part of whosoever. If you, can, if you take in breath and then you breathe out, you are part of whosoever. And so we come to the table, the Lord's table, the family meal. And we say this a lot, but it's worth saying, we're taking it together today, all of us who are here at Oasis. But you realize that on this given Sunday morning, there are folks who are coming to the table of the Lord all over the world. And spiritually, they're at the same table that we're at. And time, time is such an interesting thing, right? We feel like we're kind of in it, maybe trapped by it. Mikkel has said before, I'll quote him here, that he can time travel. You might not have known this about Mikkel, our executive pastor. He can time travel, although he said he can only move in one direction and only at the speed of time. <laughs> That's good, right? So we're all traveling through time. But God's not. I mean, God can be in the sense that God is with us, but then God's also beyond all that. And that the coming of God doesn't happen just, this is quoting Chris Green, my friend, not just in time, but to time, so that it affects all of time, so that we all, in a way, are at the table together. Those of us who are alive in Christ and those of us who are dead in Christ are all at the table of the Lord together. We're worshiping God and we're celebrating the redemption, the forgiveness, the inclusion, the adoption that says we're part of this family. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.